You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. You start out trying to get people to agree to let them use your back 40 and to put a, a hiking trail through your property. It's a lot easier. You pick the, the low fruit. I remember in the 1980s and 1990s, even into the 2010s, we were, we were acquiring about 20 to even 30 miles a year. Today, today we're acquiring about a mile a year, mm. average, average mile a year. So you see, you know, like I said, you pick the right fruit, right fruit, you, you get your trail built where you can get it built. But it gets harder and harder, and eventually you just don't make any progress. Unless, without eminent domain, unless start paying exorbitant prices for right away. And that shouldn't happen because the Fifth Amendment says just compensation. That was Jim Kern, founder of the Florida Trail, and I'm Misty Little, your host for the podcast. I've been wanting to get Jim back on the podcast since his first episode, the episode that kicked off this podcast in 2018. It took me a while, but I finally made it happen. This episode is likely to stir up some thoughts and hopefully some positive conversations. I read Jim's book, Broken Promise, The Plight of Our National Trails, this summer with the express purpose of speaking to him about the book. If you aren't familiar with the book or his organization, Hiking Trails for America, Jim is very eager to get all of the remaining incomplete National Scenic Trails finished without any roadwalk gaps. As Florida trail hikers, we all know the problems with the gaps in the trail and all wish for them to be complete. While most hiking orgs these days rely on the process of easements or slowly purchasing trail corridors, Jim is advocating for the agencies that manage the scenic trails to use their constitutional powers of eminent domain to complete it. After all, that is how the Appalachian Trail was completed, so why not the others? I was also interested to hear his perspective as I've been mired in some activism here in Texas this summer to save a state park that had been leased for 50 years by the state, but it was on energy company property. Needless to say, it has been a crash course in eminent domain law and reading Jim's book really added another dimension to the whole subject. I think I'll save more commentary on that for a longer podcast episode. I'm contemplating a roundtable discussion with folks on how we could feasibly move forward in completing all of our national scenic trails. So even if you haven't read Jim's book, this is a fascinating subject, and if you pair it with the goals you heard a few episodes ago from the FTA, I think we can all reasonably find a solution to closing the gaps in our long trails. Onward to my conversation with Jim Kern. Well, Jim, I appreciate you wanting to come back on the Orange Blaze podcast. As I mentioned, so many people had reached out to me over the years saying that this, that the interview that I had with you at the very, very, very beginning of this podcast, that it's one of their favorites. And I knew it was about time to get you back on the podcast because I had finished recently reading Broken Promise, uh, the plight of the, uh, our national trails and, I know you have a lot of opinions and thoughts, and I've even evolved mine over the years. And I just would like you to share a little bit about uh, your your background on your research with Broken Promise and why you even came to, to even think it was something worth writing. Well, I'm happy to do that. Um, I founded the Florida Trail in 1966, and... By 1970 or thereabouts, I began thinking, 
this 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 thing's gonna maybe materialize. This a lot of people are interested in this idea, a, a trail the length of Florida, a winter trail when all the other trails are snowed in. And uh, so, uh, what about posterity? What how in the world do we make this a trail uh, permanent? So. By 1970, 71, 72, uh, I was very much uh, occupied by by this question, and it, it's never never really ended. Uh, here we find my 89th birthday is next week. Oh wow! And and, and we find that we haven't made significant headway since 1975 on this issue. Now, what we don't realize is that eminent domain, which is the power, the actually awesome power of the government to take property. Now, the founders realized the importance of this. It's in the Bill of Rights, uh, number five. It's only part of one sentence, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. That's it. Uh, we couldn't even think about running a modern world without eminent domain. It's used all the time, and we take it for granted if it's a hospital site, if it's a site for a fire station or a school, um, or if it's a long corridor for a water line. Um, but other than these utilitarian justifications, is there a legitimate reason for employing this awesome power for any other purpose? Mm -hmm. And I can think of some reasons conservation reasons, medical reasons, um, and recreational reasons. Now, I don't know of another recreational reason that has so much tied up in, in this very issue because hikers like long trails. Yes. They want to know that if when they go out uh, for an hour, they could make it an afternoon. They go out for a weekend, they want to know that they could make it for a week. And so our trails really need to be continuous. And our country has not properly addressed this issue and come to any conclusion. Right. One trail in the country that people know about is the Appalachian Trail. I wonder if they know that this is the only significant trail in the country that was provided with eminent domain and is continuous from the one end to the other. I just, I don't know the answer to that, but um, it's uh, the grandmother trail of all trails, and it is a recognizable name. 
So it's very important, and it would never have been completed without eminent domain, and it was used in a big way, a major way. When Congress passed the National Trail System Act, requiring the entire length of the Appalachian Trail, 2,200 miles, was the number one project, and they were missing one-third of the wow. distance. So out of the 20, 2,200 miles, let's let's make it 21 and then divides nicely by three. Mm-hmm. 700 miles was 700 miles of the Appalachian Trail was missing. One third. Now we, the Floridians, members of the Florida Trail Association, they've they've got a trail that's 73 percent complete. Mm-hmm. We're much further along when 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 Congress came to the rescue of the AT, we're much further along. Instead of 66, we're 73% done. That's very significant because as you get toward the end, it gets harder and harder and harder. When you start out trying to get people to agree to let them use your back 40 and to put a, a hiking trail through your property, it's a lot easier. You pick the, the low fruit. I remember... In the 1980s and 1990s, even into the 2010s, we were we were acquiring about 20 to even 30 miles a year. Today, today we're acquiring about a mile a year, mm. average, average mile a year. So you see, you know, like I said, you pick the right fruit, right fruit. You you get your trail built where you can get it built. But it gets harder and harder, and eventually you just don't make any progress. Unless, without eminent domain, unless you start paying exorbitant prices for right-of-way. And that shouldn't happen, because the Fifth Amendment says just compensation. Fair for the seller, fair for the buyer, you see? Yes, so we should be able to use, if we can use eminent domain, it's a just transaction. <clears throat> and if either party thinks it's not just, you have the option of going to court <clears throat> and letting a jury decide for you. You're unreasonable in what, the price you want. Then you can, uh, you know, the, the buyer, the government mm-hmm. case, go to court and a jury decides what the fair price is. <clears throat> That's the best you can do in America, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so, uh, Misty, um, we have, we have a, unfortunately, we have a long, long way to go. National Trail Systems Act was passed in 1968, and today, only trail that's complete is the trail that was granted eminent domain by Congress, the Appalachian Trail. All the rest are incomplete. Now, there's an anomaly here. Let's put it on the table. I, uh, it's not significant, but the Appalachian Trail, I mean, sorry, the Arizona Trail is complete. Yes. Why is that complete? Because it's entirely on federal land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it Convenient. follows a ridge from north to south in Arizona. <clears throat> Lucky them. Yes. So we're not so lucky. And uh, and so we, uh, 
we have a staggering problem. Go to the other 10, or the other another nine, excuse me. You've got 11 National Scenic Trails. You've got the, uh, the Appalachian Trail and the Arizona Trail. Otherwise, you've got nine others that are hanging in limbo. Yep. So the question is, how do we, how, what do we do next? And I wrote the book, Broken Promise, so that you could see the history of how Congress gave us an, an idea and how to solve the problem, uh, providing eminent domain, but they have been unwilling because of feedback from their constituents, and that's that's a democracy, fair enough. But people complain, you know, I don't want this trail in my back thousand acre of my ranch or something. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's got a voice. And so uh, people are afraid of government, particularly just in principle. Yes. People are afraid of government power, particularly in the West, very sensitive to government, you know, and I don't know if your listeners know this, but I mean, it's federal government owns enormous amounts of Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming, Montana, Nevada, et cetera, mm-hmm. Western states. And there's a lot of resentment about that. Utah is another one. And I understand. I get it. <clears throat> um, so that's what I'm involved in these days, Misty. Uh, yeah. That, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I on a subject uh, that, that you think we is relevant? That we're yes, yes. Talking yeah. about it? Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. It's perfect. Right. I think I did want to say, you know, the, the touchstone about people being so upset about eminent domain and, you know, they get upset about things. I feel like they get more upset about these conservation-oriented projects and then they completely ignore pipelines. I mean, I wouldn't say they ignore pipelines. There, there's plenty of protests, but in general, they ignore all the other mundane uses of eminent yeah. domain that go on around them all the time. And I, Misty, we, we get I the short end of the I, stick. I've puzzled about this for a long time. And I think the reason is that if it can be labeled a highway or labeled a railroad or labeled a utility, you see, the, the the thought, immediate thought is, well, we need that. Without yeah. even knowing any details, well, it's a utility. We need it. Right. Yeah. So I agree with you. I absolutely agree. So I think that's the frustrating part um, is, is seeing that and knowing, like, well, we should be giving equal opportunity to something else that is recreation, that is beneficial to everybody, um, you know, just because yeah. it's it, it's in Florida doesn't mean – only Floridians use it. Everybody gets to come and hike on the Florida Trail. Yeah, yeah. It's the only winter footpath in the country free of snow. Yes. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> what more reason People do you need? People don't hike on the Arizona Trail because it's covered in snow. It's about three or 4,000 feet, whatever, in elevation. And look on the map. You'll see how far north it goes. And, yeah, it snows in the Grand Canyon. I was there in the snowfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so our trail is free of snow. Yeah, very nice, isn't it? Yes, it is fact, very nice. In fact, our, our, I think our hiking season stretches from maybe December. You've got you've got holidays and you've got hunting seasons. Uh, so, but uh, December, 
January, February, and March are, are better, uh, but it's a, it's a winter trail. Yes, it is definitely. And I know some people attempt it early section hike it in, in the summer, but you know, those are brave souls. So <laughs> Brother. yeah, well, anyway, uh, after the publication of my book, <clears throat> um, there were some interesting statistics that supported everything in the book. And, uh, and I put them together in five blogs. Let me tell you about them. Yeah. Um, it turns out, uh, if, if, if these are, if these figures I'm going to give you are important, uh, and your listeners, if it's important to them, they should at this point get a paper and pencil because you can't keep all, all this stuff in your, in your head. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, as it turns out, when the government acquired 700 miles still remaining to be acquired for the Appalachian Trail, when they did that, they had to uh, go out into the field and knock on doors and deal with about 2,550 separate property owners in that 700 miles. So now, did everybody need did did everybody not want to sell? Did the government had to had a, a, a taking for that many people? No. As it turned out five out of six people were were open to taking the money, putting it in the bank. But one out of six, one out of six required eminent domain. Now, not just because there's an adversarial situation. That's not even the most common reason. Person doesn't want to sell. You file an eminent domain uh, suit, and the government can take his property. No, lots of times there's a title problem, mm. or maybe maybe we're not sure who's going to get the money. So, so five out of six of those transactions, even though eminent domain was used twenty five hundred and fifty times over seven hundred miles. Uh, uh, it turns out that one out of six was adversarial. Hmm. Out of the seven hundred, uh, one out of six was was adversarial. So um, uh, keep that in mind. Yes, I decided. <laughs> I don't know how I stumbled on this, but here's uh, take me a minute to describe this. So uh, it turns out. If a U.S. highway goes through your state, and in Florida we have lots of them, we have mm-hmm. Highway 27, Highway 1, Highway 301, uh, and so on, 441, 41. So mm-hmm. if if the state wants to do something, widen it, make it four lane instead of two lane, if they want to, if they want to extend it, and so on, they have to take property, and they and they do it with eminent domain if necessary. And as it turns out. Over and I and I researched this. Uh, I got the Federal Highway Administration to cough up some information. It's available on the web. You can check me if you want. Guess what the percentage was of the of the takings, the amount of times that eminent domain was used in a hundred and twenty-five. Thousand cases from 2017, 18, 19, 2020. Four years total number of takings 
U.S. highway takings, a uh, hundred and what did I say, twenty five hundred thirty thousand? I forget exactly, but it's about close enough, hundred twenty five thousand. One out of six. <laughs> Every single year, it was the same percentage, one out of six. Now, just think about that. When somebody tells you, we don't need eminent domain because over time, we're going to buy, we're going to, these properties will come up for sale and we'll buy them. Well, I can tell you that the highway department and the interior department acquiring, acquiring land for the Appalachian Trail discovered that it is one out of six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so your idea of taking your time, and it still took 30 years for the government to buy all 2,550 tracts of land. It took 30 years uh, to complete the Appalachian Trail. One out of six required eminent domain. So these are very, very important uh, statistics. Yeah. When people when people tell me in time, in time, forget that phrase when it comes to this issue. It's it's not on the table. It's going to take one out of six times uh, that eminent domain will be used to acquire the missing uh, gaps in our national scenic trails. Can you imagine calling a trail like the Florida Trail? It's the Florida National Scenic Trail, and it's missing 2,880 parcels of land, and they're calling it a National Scenic Trail. Congress should be embarrassed over this. This is ridiculous. Either complete the trail and call it a National Trail, or, you know, don't support it. Congress... Uh, chicken out don't help (laughs) don't help us do this and no we'll just call it the florida trail that's how we started (laughs) yeah yeah well it's not just a florida trail you said there's you know nine others that are just you know waiting in limbo to be finished oh yeah and listen the north country trail is missing 500 miles the ice age trail is missing 400 miles the the uh the continental divide trail um, I don't know. I don't know about. Uh, but anyway, they're all missing. All the others, all all nine, they're all missing significant parcels. No, yeah. Too bad. Yeah. So in your experience, I know you talked to so many different people in the hiking community, um, you know, not just the Florida Trail, but throughout the country. What are some of the thoughts uh about eminent domain or about trail completion within all of these different trail groups uh, running and trying to trying to these corridors, are they generally all eminent domain is on the radar? Is that how it is? Misty, everybody is intimidated. Everybody, no, you know, I tell you what, I, <laughs> hikers are nice people. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean that. That, that. I'm not saying that in a glib way. Hikers, I find you find people that like to walk on a on a on a trail somewhere. By George, a pretty good guess that that person is is a pleasant sort of a Joe, uh, and that's what I've found my whole life. If I've thought about all the groups that I'm affiliated with, if I want to be among pleasant people, I would say <laughs> the highest percentage for me is going to be in the hiking community. Yeah. 
I think that's a terrific compliment for for this particular activity. I, I really, but I believe it. Anyway, uh, so uh, they they don't want a door slammed on their face when they go to see their congressman and they say, "I want to talk to you about eminent domain." He said, "If you want to talk about eminent domain, uh, there's the door." Right. You know, they don't want to do it because even you see if look. Uh, now, now I've just realized I'm going to digress on something very important. Uh, what I've thought a lot about this, obviously, since 1970. <laughs> and what do you think it is that upsets people most about about eminent domain? I I don't know the answer to this, but I have an idea, and it might be a person kicked out of their house. Yeah. Yeah. It might be. That's a dreadful thing. Yeah. That that's a de- dreadful thing. And when the interstate highway was being built, can you imagine how many houses mm-hmm. they had to go through? I mean, that thing is I don't know. I think we have something like 50,000 miles. I don't know how many miles we have of interstate highway. But the thing is uh, 4 or 500 feet wide, you know. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? All right. So now I think that the f- most frightening thing is requiring a person to leave their house. It could be a, a lifetime thing. They might have been born in that house, you know, all kinds of, of, of very touching, very emotional things uh, attached to, to that. I think the hiking community, this is just me thinking right now, I think the hiking community, to get what we need, which is a use of a eminent domain on on land, ought to be willing to agree that we would not use eminent domain to buy a house. Yeah, of course, of course. Why? Because we're looking for the wildest parcels of land we can find anyway. Yes. So why can't we do that? You see, I think think that's a, a big... A, a big plum <clears throat> that we have in the negotiations that have to happen if if we're gonna if we're gonna end this. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason that we couldn't work with landowners to find an appropriate corridor that's you know well yeah. away from a home, you know, well away right. from some particular part of their property that is sensitive to them. I, I think there's plenty of reason and right. room to negotiate for sure. I agree. So that's something that we could put uh, an arrow in in the quiver, you know, that would that would help us uh, get this get this job done. It would be a, a huge thing. Nobody else, any utility line, any power line, any railroad, any highway, they want to go straight. Mm-hmm. We don't want to go straight. Uh, rails to trails. The problem with rails to trails from from my personal perspective, is they don't meander anywhere. They they're laid down on railroad tracks, and the you know yeah. they're going they're going as straight as possible. Yeah. So so I think that's something we could live with, and we should live with it. Yes. Yes. Well, but, yeah. I was going to say because you were going back to talk about Congress earlier and people being hesitant about approaching them, but. You also mentioned in the book about how, like, even the National Park Service, just like when they're negotiating with landowners, they have 
eminent domain in their back pocket. They know it's a tool they can use. And, yep. you know, all these other agencies know it's a tool they can use, but, you know, yep. it, it, it's so sad that we're so hesitant to even know it's a tool. Yep. 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 I talked to the guy in the Department of the Interior who was the lead man in acquiring all those 2,550 parcels for the Appalachian Trail. And he was telling me about knocking on doors. And he said two things struck me. Number one, he never went to see a property owner unless he had a local hiker with him. Very, very good idea. Yeah. And the other thing was they know when you knock on their door and you've got an appointment and you're coming to see them and you work for the Department of Interior, they know, in this case, in this story of acquiring the Appalachian Trail, they know you have eminent domain in your back pocket. Yeah. So, so and I've had, uh, I'm in the Florida land business and uh, I've had condemnations many times. No problem for me. I've I bought the thing as an investment. They're going to pay. They're going to pay a fair price. So, all right, it's no, it's no, it's no problem for me on that score. But I do know when the guy knocks on my door, he's got eminent domain in his back pocket. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to start, you know, it's all about how much he's going to pay. That's what it is, really. Yeah. Yeah. He, needs, he needs to widen this road or whatever it is, the reason, Florida Power and Light, one time, Florida Power and Light acquired from me. I was the general partner for a very big investment, 160 feet wide and two miles long. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, right through the center of the property. Wow, big chunk. <laughs> right through the center. They had eminent domain for power company. You know, the power company has eminent domain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's. That's a, that's what we that's what we have to remember is this is going on everywhere all the time, right down the street from me, two miles away, um, um, in a, as a crow flies, it's a, it's a mile away. Uh, they're widening the airport, so yeah. I, I they're wide, they're lengthening the runway. So I know I talked to the, the guy down there uh, who's in negotiating, and he says he's got a little business on his property and. The, they're not offering the money he wants, so he's going to sit there and wait for the for an eminent domain proceeding. You see, and mm-hmm. he'll, and if if he's got a figure in mind, and so in the end, a jury's going to be, try to be fair to everybody. Correct, correct. So I know the general consensus in the trail community is anti-eminent domain. Do, be, do you ever come across anybody who is supportive, but kind of keeping that quiet? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe not even keeping it quiet. Uh, okay. You know, well, of good. course we need eminent. There is no such thing as a long corridor in America that doesn't need eminent domain. There is simply no one out of six. Yeah. So if you're going to acquire 2,550, do you think you are so lucky that you're going to just find 2,550 people that will agree to sell to you? It's one out of six. And so uh, the odds, if you do a, a, a mathematical uh, solution to this question, if the statistic is one out of six will, will require eminent domain, and if you have 2,550 properties you need to acquire to complete the Appalachian Trail, 
the odds, the odds of you mathematically of finding, being so lucky as to get everyone who agrees to sell is equivalent to zero. It's the mathematical yeah. equivalent to zero. Yeah. One to the minus 50, one to the minus 50th power is the mathematical uh, equivalent of zero. Right. Mathem- mathematician will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so your chances are zero. Yeah. And I didn't know that when I wrote the book. Yeah, I thought the numbers you laid out in the book were very interesting and intriguing. And uh, just to show the point that there's always going to be somebody and it's going to be somebody in the middle of the trail or a couple places in the middle that's going to be broken, breaking your trail in in pieces. And if you don't figure out how to secure that corridor through eminent domain, you're you're never going to get it. And, you know, if you wait 30, 50 years, then what's the point? Yeah. And if you wait that long, maybe the guy will have died. His son will have uh, acquired the property in his will. And he decides he wants to build a house. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And so now you got a house in the middle of your trail. Your chances are even much, much, much less. Right, right. All right. So what do you think is the best action for people who want to push this. So should we be writing our, our representatives in Congress? Should we be actively talking with our trail clubs uh, throughout the country, trying to turn this tide and getting pushing this? Is this what hikers should be doing? Yeah. Uh, I, I think getting hikers, you picture your, your vision of, of, of the typical hiker person. Honestly, it's like herding cats. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not easy. It's no. Not yeah. Easy. They're they're they're. You don't see the hikers down at the pub. You know, like a motorcycle group. They, yeah. The motor, I saw. I saw uh, on the highway last week. I'm telling you, they were riding two abreast. I would say there were thirty pairs. That's 60 guys on motorcycles going by. They enjoy that. And a lot of people enjoy the camaraderie of, of fellowship in their group, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, they're a member of this and that. Well, yeah, I know they like to fish. Oh, yeah, they like to hunt or whatever it is. But they like the camaraderie that goes with it. They like the kind of people who like what they like. And so the camaraderie in, in the hiking community, uh, I'm a good example. I mean, I'm happy to people ask me all the time, which do you like better? Do you like to hike with a group or do you like to hike alone? And I think they're two different events. I, I like the sociability of of hiking with other people, and I, I'm equally uh, satisfied to hike by myself. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of, of this in the hiking community. Uh, and uh, and so, like I say, it's like herding cats and getting getting them all in the same room I mean, this is the kind of thing that can appeal to Republicans and Democrats, everybody. I mean, it's just, we're talking about our, our outdoor health. We're talking yeah. about, yeah. Uh, and what we learned, by the way, in the pandemic is how popular our trails were. They, they were just overcrowded. Yes. All the trails were overcrowded. I don't know if you know that, but the statistic before when I published the book, right on the cover of the book, I say, 
an appeal to Congress, I'm going to read this, on behalf of the 47.9 million hikers. And then there's a footnote in the back that explains where I got that. That was not my figure. Uh, so, well, today it's, quote, over 60 million. Not oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's not 47.9, which would be 48 uh, during the pandemic. And after that, over, quote, over 60 million people enjoy taking 14 or more hiking outings a year. Wow. So uh, that's and, and we have we really have uh, crowd problems on the AT and on the PCT. I, yes. I don't know about elsewhere, but we, we certainly do. Uh, you you have to get a permit, and then uh, you know if you're going to hike the Appalachian Trail from end to end, uh, that's not you. That's not saying you couldn't just go out there and start walking. You could, but they're tr- trying to gather statistics, and they want you to pre-register. So when my friend uh, Larry Luxenberg hiked the length of the Appalachian Trail, here's another statistic coming for those who are writing this down. Uh, so. Uh, for the people who pre-registered last year to hike the length of the Appalachian Trail, 3,600 people wow. pre-registered, 3,600 people. My friend Larry Luxenberg hiked as a young man out of college. He hiked the length of the Appalachian Trail in 1980, 1980. 200 other people hiked the length of the Appalachian wow. Trail <laughs> in 1980. Yeah. Compare that number to 3,600. Yeah. It's it's impressive. I have definitely seen in the last decade how much it's increased in the pandemic, certainly not just on our yeah. trails, but our, our national parks, our state parks, all of them are at capacity. Right. We need more public land. Right, right, right. And, you know, isn't a hiking trail the perfect recreation for in a pandemic because you can go out by yourself or you can go out with your family? know an extended family or just a father and a mother and, and children you can do that all you have to do if you see somebody coming is just step off into the woods for 10 feet or whatever they want you to do you know yeah yep. the other people go by i mean there's nothing to it and another thing how democratic hiking is i mean for goodness sakes all you need are a pair of sneakers and everybody's got a pair of sneakers yep <laughs> The most one of the most famous people to ever hike the Appalachia Trail was Grandma Gatewood, mm-hmm. and Grandma Gatewood had a sack that she threw over her shoulder. It was just a sack. Yes, it wasn't a backpack. They were unknown when she did this. Yeah, About eighty nine years ago. But anyway, yeah, yeah. What a legend she is. Yeah, I've I've read the book about her. She has an amazing history and. A lot of hardships, so it was a very interesting mm-hmm. biography of her. Yep, yep. I think she found uh, she found what she needed, which was to get away from an abusive husband. Yes, yes. And it turned out to be the perfect thing for her to do. Yes. Uh, so much so, she did. It. She hiked the length of it again. Yeah. yeah. Well, Quite and I story. think I think our I think our trails uh, serve that purpose for many other people for whatever reasons they're trying to escape in their everyday lives. So, yeah. You know, I sponsored a hike across America. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not. Yeah. 1980, we had just founded the American hiking society and we wanted to promote the name. We wanted to show the, the country that we were on the map. 
And so uh, the board, uh, I don't know how it happened, but anyway, <laughs> I, I ended up organizing and running the event. And, you know, we had, uh, we walked from the Golden Gate Bridge, we walked to the steps of the Capitol. Wow. And I didn't do it. I organized it. But I would say of the hundreds and hundreds of people who joined us along the way, I would say there was a core of about 20, 25 who, who, who hiked, hiked the whole way. Whole thing. Wow. But anyway, anyway, I want to tell you, more than one woman was took this opportunity to walk out of a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess men don't, men, you know, men just walk out the door and leave, but a woman doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I understand. Yeah. Especially times have changed a lot since then, uh, mostly, but yeah, at that time, that would have been a, a good way to uh, find your yeah. out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Start walking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, brother. Well, I know you, you're, you're turning 89. Do you have any exciting trips uh, for your 89th or I guess your 90th year as you approach 90? What do you get on the hiking agenda uh, for next year? Well, I, I don't like to talk about what I'm planning to do. I'd like to tell you about it when I get back, but okay. I'm yeah. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you two things that I want to do before the end of the year. <laughs> Now understand, I'm, it, I might not, you know, something, a hurricane might come up or, and I don't want to leave or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. But uh, there is in northern Minnesota, there's a vast wilderness called the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, just called the Boundary Waters. If you mm-hmm. if you like canoeing and you and you get with people who are canoeing aficionados, mm-hmm. you tell them, I'm going to the Boundary Waters. They know exactly where you mean. About four and a half hour drive north of Minneapolis, about an uh, hour and a half drive north of Duluth. You'll be in the largest wilderness area east of the Mississippi River. It's called the Boundary Waters Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Yeah. So I'm going to go up there, third week of September. Nice. And I'm going to get in a canoe by myself, uh, right at a two or three people that don't want to go, but that's okay. Uh, and I'm going to uh, paddle off for several days. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Probably, yeah. probably five, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're portages because you go from lake to lake to lake. It's dotted with lakes. And so you've got, but these portages aren't bad. They're, I was there 50 years ago. And, uh, and the portages are, they can be quite short, 100 yards, 150 yards. Okay. A couple less, some longer, but anyway, yeah. The awesome. Canoe is going to weigh 30 pounds. Oh. <laughs> and there are lots of outfitters. The place to go is Ely, E-L-Y. Most people who want to canoe in the Boundary Waters, they go to Ely. And I'm already talking to an outfitter and, and so on. So that's one thing. Awesome. Uh, the next thing is a little bit more controversial, but if you look up Hunza... Google, mm-hmm. type in H-U-N-Z-A, you'll find, in my mind, the most attractive place in the world. Okay. A place called Hunza. And it's in northern Pakistan, goes oh. right to the Chinese border. Uh, all the fighting that was going on in 
Pakistan was, if you if you remember, most of most of all the fighting was in Afghanistan. But we serviced our involvement in Pakistan in, in uh, Afghanistan, uh, all funneled through Pakistan. But right. Anyway, we have Sunnis and we have Shia Muslims that don't get along. Iran and uh, and Saudi Arabia uh, are, are the significant. Uh, uh, residents of, of those sects. Mm-hmm. But in Hunza, <clears throat> they're uh, Ishmaelis, I-S, Ishmaeli. forget exactly the spelling, but it's I-S. And they're completely different. They're, uh, they're not controversial. They're not, uh, they're not looking for the next war. And, uh, and they're lovely people. I've been there twice so far. Nice. I've been there tw- in 20 years. And uh, it's 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 gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. The Indus River runs through. Oh wow! Uh, and all that ninety percent of the uh, of the river is uh, melting melting glaciers. Oh right, right. <laughs> yeah, from from uh, the Hindu Kush and from uh, Nepal, uh, the uh, the mountain range. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Nepal mountain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the uh, uh, what's the mountain range do we that Everest is in and K2 and all the others anyway oh yeah I know you're talking Himalayas, Himalayas, Himalayas yes <laughs> gee whiz. all right so anyway uh I'm you see why I'm celebrating my 89th birthday gee yeah. whiz I can't think of, <laughs> uh, of, of, of the Himalayas Himalayas okay yes. so what I want to tell you is this I'm going to give you one statistic about this and that is that uh there are more statistics. There are 14 mountains in the world over 8,000 meters. Mm-hmm. There are 14 mountains in the world over 8,000 meters. You access five of them from the Hunza Valley. Now that oh, tells you. Okay. That tells you something. Okay. Including the second highest, K2. Wow. Okay. K2, and then, and then you've got four more. Okay. Yeah. So it's a very so special area to be going to then. Go to Google and just type in Hunza, H-U-N-Z-A, and look at the pictures. That's all. You'll want to go there. We're going to, yeah, I was going to say, we're all going to be signing up. How did we get to Pakistan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. So that's my plan. Middle of November to the middle of December. Awesome. Well, that's, those sound like awesome trips and I'm, I'm sure you will have many more awesome adventures and it's really cool that you're doing this at, um, you know, certainly not too many people at 89 can say they do what you do, and um, I'm sure you're going to be out there as long as possible. Well, I will. Yeah. And then when I run out of money, I'll come home. Yes. (laughs) 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 Well, Jim, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to thank you for coming back to talk with me about, uh, you know, flight of our National Scenic Trails, and I'm hoping it lights a fire under some of our hikers feet and like they consider this when they're, when they're hiking the trails that there's a greater issue here mm-hmm. when they're complaining about roadwalks that, you know, maybe they should have a voice in this and they should be a little bit more of uh, active in the community and trying to talk to their representatives and local trail clubs and, and pushing them yep. a little bit harder on this. Now, if people, if people want to get this book, it's a, it's a not expensive. It's in paperback. They can go to Hiking Trails in America um, and uh, find it f- for sale. And uh, 
uh, I'm going to send everybody from here on the five blogs. Okay. Are going to be tucked into the into the book. The five okay. blogs that I posted on my website since uh, since I published the book. Uh, a lot of data that just supports what I've been saying to to uh, you uh, for the past hour, mm-hmm. but it's just in support of of, of this idea. Um, it's not going to happen without uh, a, a major effort, uh, a legislating effort to uh, the Fifth Amendment and the Bill of Rights. We're going to have to use it to acquire any long corridor. I'm putting up on, I should mention this, in about two weeks, I am putting up a challenge to anybody, Misty. Mm-hmm. I'm putting $5,000 in escrow uh, with a local bank. It's already up. It's in the bank already. If anybody can find a long corridor, most of our trails are over 1,000 miles. If you can find, if anybody can find a long corridor that was assembled through private property, out eminent domain, I'll give them five thousand bucks. Well, that's a challenge. That's, that's how <laughs> sure I am. Yeah, I don't want to lose my money, so I'm sure of what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's going to be up in about two weeks at, at uh, Hiking Trails in America, or go to Jim Kern or uh, Jim Kern dot. Uh, um. Oh no! If you go to Jim Kern Hiker, you'll you'll find me too. Jim Kern Hiker. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I will put all those links in the website for the podcast so they can find that and click through themselves. Okay. Perfect. Well, again, yeah, thank you so much for talking with me. I hope you, I wish you a early, happy, woo, an early happy birthday. <laughs> and um, I hope you have a safe uh, next few months traveling. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. That's it for my conversation with Florida Trail founder, Jim Kern. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. You can find the show notes for the podcast at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com and find me on Instagram at orangeblazepodcast as well as over on Facebook as Official Orange Blaze Podcast. Until next time, happy hiking.